I love God. I love his word. I love his people. Amen. Amen. Will you please turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 20. I believe it's uh, page 993 in your pew Bibles. I have a word from God for the people of God today. And it's found here in 1 Timothy. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor, eternal glory, and dominion. Amen. Skip down to verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. You please pray with me. Holy Spirit. I pray that you take my preparation and you take the words from my mouth this morning and you use it for your glory. We pray that you edify your people, enlighten your people, guide and lead your people, Father. We pray that you have your way in this church this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. War is hell. So said General William Tecumseh Sherman the famed or infamous general from the American Civil War, depending on which side he was on, I guess. The Civil War was the bloodiest war in American history. Over 6,000 Americans died in that war. War is indeed hell, but there are times when it's absolutely necessary. General Sherman is best known for his total war. He called it hard war. His march from Alabama to the Atlantic Ocean left a destruction Uh, in his attempt to utterly destroy and demoralize the enemy. The general was willing to do whatever it took to win a war. We may not agree with everything he did, but most students of war would agree that unless you are completely committed to one thing in war, and that's winning, and unless you are willing to do whatever it takes to win, you will lose the war. War requires a tremendous amount of focus, effort, sacrifice, and energy. A month after the end of the war, after five long years of fighting, the general wrote a friend, I'm sick and tired of fighting. And like General Sherman, anyone engaged in warfare can get tired of fighting. But there is a war that every child of God is called to fight. The Apostle Paul has been pouring his heart into the life of young Timothy and instructing him on what life in the house of God should look like. Paul closes his letter to Timothy here in our passage 
with a comprehensive command, and it's to fight the good fight of faith. We won't be able to cover everything this morning. We're going to take some of the verses out of order. But if you don't get anything else I'll say this morning, I want you to get this one thing. That life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, requires a fight. It requires war. First, exactly who's commanded? Who's being commanded to fight here? Is it just for Timothy or is it for everyone? Let's look at verse 11 here. It says, but as for you, O man of God, fight the good fight of faith. This command is not for everyone, but it's not just for Timothy either. And it's crucial for we get this right at the beginning before we understand the rest of the passage here. The man of God is a term used over 70 times in the Old Testament. And it always refers to a man that spoke for God and was set apart by God. It was used of Moses, Elijah, Elisha, King David, and other prophets. And so it became a technical term used to speak for anyone who spoke for God. And here Paul is using it to remind Timothy that as a preaching, teaching pastor in the house of God, he is speaking for God. If you look back at the beginning of verse 11 there, it says, but... And that's there to contrast Timothy from the false prophets that was early in the passage outlined by Paul. Unlike the false teachers, Timothy was God's man. One main job description of the man of God was to be an example for the household of God. So this command was for Timothy to obey, but for him to demonstrate and uh, live it out in front of everyone in the house, uh, in the church. Back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, if we turn there, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. This term, man of God, is used one other time in the New Testament. It's over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it's used in a more general sense over there. And it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that a man of God may be equipped for every good work. The man of God, the woman of God, the people of God speaks God's words. They're trained and equipped by God's word. The scriptures, there are to be examples for everyone else to live like Christ. And hopefully that's describing everyone here this morning. But I'm afraid not everyone here this morning can say that. You see, this command is not for everyone. It's not for unbelievers. But if you are an unbeliever here today, please listen closely. Because Jesus said you must count the cost before you become his follower. He says, who will build a tower, or in our case, who will build a house without first sitting down and making sure you have enough money to finish the project? He says, what king will go out to war without first sitting down to make sure he has enough men to defeat the other king? And so this morning, I pray that you listen and that you know what's at stake here. You know what Christ has won for those who follow him, and you know What's going to happen to those who don't count the cost this morning? But you may be asking, why is, why is Paul commanding Timothy, a Christian, 
and commanding us to fight. Should we start the crusades up again? Should we go fight Christian jihad? No, but this command to fight means that the Christian life requires work. But you say, I thought when we came to Christ, he gave us rest, and he did. He said, come unto me, all you are who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He said that, and it's true. We can cease from our works of trying to earn our way to please God. We can cease uh, from our works of self-righteousness. We can cast our burdens of guilt and our bondage to sin on Christ, and he's a good master. But this verse here, verse 12, says, oh, man of God, fight the good fight of faith. This verb here in verse 12, fight, the Greek word is agonizomai, where we get the English word to agonize. In ancient Greece, it was used in both military and athletic contexts to describe the concentration, the discipline, and the conviction needed to win at a competition. And this verse, a battle, a fight. The present imperative tense of the verb indicates the continuous nature of the battle. It's an ongoing fight. The Christian faith is a lifelong battle. You see, regeneration is monogistic or one working, and that's God. Being born of God, being born again, being born from above is something that God does alone. He regenerates us for his glory and for his purposes. And just like our physical birth, we didn't play any part in that. And our spiritual birth, we don't play any part in that either. So it's monogistic, one working God. He give us the faith to believe. We hear the gospel. We place our faith in it, in Christ. And we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. But after that, God commands us to get to work. You see, sanctification, the process of Christians becoming more Christ-like, is synergistic. Or tool working. After you've been declared righteous by God, the Christian life is a continual process of working out what God is working in us. Paul described this over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our work, our fighting, is a result of God working in us, it comes from being born of God. But the good fight of faith requires a tremendous amount of effort on our part. So the Bible describes a Christian life as a farmer working hard in the field, as a boxer disciplining his body to get ready for a fight, or a runner competing in a race, and here, a soldier in a battle. The Christian life is a continual and sometimes agonizing fight. But preacher, you're saying... Uh, are we saved by faith, but we keep ourselves saved by fighting? No, I'm not saying that. But Paul is telling us here that we must fight the good fight of faith. Well, preacher, if we're not fighting to become a Christian, if we don't keep ourselves saved by fighting, then what are we trying to do? What are we fighting for? We're fighting to do two things. One, to preserve the purity of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And two, we are fighting not to bring shame on that faith. Or you can say it another way. We're fighting for the purity of the gospel. And we're fighting to live a life worthy of the gospel. Verse 13 here. It says, I charge you in the presence of God to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. 
Timothy, a man of God, fight to keep the commandment unstained. This word commandment here is what Paul, he, he was referring to, I believe, the entire Christian faith. The scriptures that contain that faith and the gospels that's in the scriptures. Amen. <laughs> so this, this command here, Paul wants us to keep pure and he wants us to keep it unstained. So I know that it may not sound, it may sound unusual to hear this commandment to refer to scriptures and to the gospel. So hopefully I can show it that it's not without scriptural support. Back in Acts 17, Paul said, God has commanded all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day that he would judge the world by the man, Christ Jesus. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And how are we to do that? How are we to make disciples? By teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Can you turn over to Romans 1? And hopefully Paul can uh, make my argument for me here. Romans 1 verse 1. says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. See, God used people, he used men to write down those things he wanted to communicate to us in the Holy Scriptures. It is not found anywhere else, and it was about a person. And it's concerning his son, verse 3 says, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and it was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's the eyewitnesses account that was written down in the New Testament. It says, verse 5, as we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations and all for the name of Christ. You see, Paul was to bring about the obedience of faith, the gospel commandment. He wanted us to be obedient to that, to repent and trust in a person and a work of Christ. And it's all contained in the Holy Scriptures that's been delivered to us by the apostles and the prophets. Now back to 1 Timothy 6, 14. And so Paul is commanding Timothy to protect the doctrines, the commandments, the teachings of the entire Christian faith. And he wants us to keep it unstained. Jude says the same thing as Paul over in Jude verse 1. It says, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That word contend there is the same Greek root word as in our verse as the fight. And so here Paul and Jude is saying the same thing. We need to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Verse 14, this word reproach there, keep it unstained and free from reproach. So how are we to keep it free from reproach? Well, it's simply by not giving people an opportunity to accuse you of hypocrisy, to say that you're preaching one thing and saying one thing in your life is something different. 
So it's one thing if someone falsely accuses you of being a hypocrite, but you know that your conscience will be clear because you know that it's not true. And so another way of saying keep it free from reproach is to say you maintain a good conscience or a clear conscience. And that's what Paul has been saying to Timothy throughout this book here. So we fight this hard war. We fight this good fight of faith by keeping the commandment, the gospel, the scriptures unstained and free from reproach and having a good conscience that we're doing it faithfully. So turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let verse 5 there. So Paul says, the aim of my charge is love. And where should that love come from? It says it should issue from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So, Paul, how are we to do this? He tells us here. He goes on in uh, verse 3. He says, I urge you to charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. And different from the sound doctrine that's in verse 10 and verse 11, it says the doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So, Paul says you need to silence these false teachers, these men who's distorting the gospel. We need to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. There's wolves out there, and they want to distort the word of God. And Jews said also, for certain men, certain persons have crept in unnoticed, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God and take license to sin. And, to, and they deny the only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and true, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, for whom I'm the foremost. This is the gospel that we've been entrusted to protect. This is the gospel we've been entrusted to keep unstained and free from reproach. Down in verse 18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. How do we wage a good warfare? Verse 19, by holding faith in a good conscience. Not only that, we keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach by fighting to choose leaders that's in the fight already. In chapter 3, so go ahead and turn to chapter 3 with me here. This discussion is about choosing men as elders and men and women as deacons to be faithful to the gospel and to be examples in the household of God. Look at verse 9. And we need to make sure that they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. We keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach by fighting to be holy also. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 6. Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end, we toil and strive. I charge you, Timothy. I charge you, Christian man, Christian woman, to fight to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Train yourself in the words of the faith, of the good doctrine. Fight to read your Bible. Fight to study it. 
The psalmist says, I meditate on your word day and night. I hide it in my heart so I may not sin against you. This is the hard war we've been called to fight. This is a fight of faith, trusting God's promises in his scriptures, knowing the Bible, renewing our minds by his word, living our lives by the precepts of God's word. Christians should not pick up arms and fight like the rest of the world. We know that our real enemy is the demonic powers that's behind the false teachers, that's behind the lies and the false philosophies that's out there in the world. Ephesians 6 says, we know that we, wrestle against, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, and the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We fight the powers of darkness by bringing everything and every Christian leader and every elder and every deacon and every thought and every action under the authority of the word of God and under the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. We fight to keep the scriptures unstained and free from reproach by taking every thought, everything that we do, every word that we say captive to Christ. Guard the deposit entrusted to you, O man of God. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Keep it unstained and free from reproach. So you say, okay, preacher, I'm a child of God. I'm fighting. But sometimes, like the general, I get tired. I'm sick and tired of fighting. I don't feel like reading my Bible sometimes. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like fighting temptation sometimes. Turn back to chapter 6. Verse 12, it says, fight a good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. So this is a motivation for us. This word here called, we can't miss this. It's a very important word in the New Testament. It says, we are called in the family of God. We are called to fight in his faith for a purpose. And that's to inherit eternal life. You know, God will use preachers, he will use teachers and your parents to give you the gospel, to, uh, to repent and believe. But this call we're talking about here is the call of the God of glory, the call of the creator, the call of God who spoke and a world came into existence. This call is an effectual call. This call is an irresistible call that produces life where there's dead bodies. It produces sight where there's blind eyes and Ears that can hear where there's deaf ears. This is the monergistic call that we talked about earlier where God regenerate uh, unbelievers and those that are dead in their trespasses and sin. Uh, the, 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 a great picture of this call is Lazarus. He was dead for four days. They said, the King James says, by now he stinketh. But Jesus said, Lazarus, get up and rise. And he, the, the dead man got up. And, and that's a picture of the, the eternal God calling dead sinners to get up and believe. Be born again. Be born from above. This is what that word called. That's what it all entails here in our verse, in verse 12 there. So with this call comes the life and the faith to believe the gospel and to be able to fight this fight. And so we are to look to that. And we are to realize that that call had a purpose. 
Romans 8 says those who are called are justified and those who are called are glorified. And so our eternal estate is guaranteed. And so we can look to that and hold on to that reality. And that should motivate us to keep fighting the good fight of faith. You can write this down. I won't have time to go there. But 2 Timothy 1.18 through 14, it basically says the same thing. Paul says to Timothy, we are called to inherit everlasting life, not because of works, but because of God's power, purpose, and his grace. He says God will keep you and you will inherit eternal life. That's what the call to me there in our verse. So we're motivated to fight by knowing the purpose of the call. We're motivated to fight by looking backwards also. Look at verse 12 again. It says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This good confession here was probably Timothy's profession of faith at his ordination or either his baptism. And this is a side note here. If you haven't been baptized yet and you're a believer in Christ, that's the first command he's given to believers is to be baptized. And so you need to be baptized here. But Paul is saying, Timothy, Christians, remember your confession, your public profession of faith, your public profession of allegiance to the king. Do you remember, Christian, when Jesus said, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the son of man have nowhere to lay his eyes? And you said, I don't care. I will follow you wherever you go. He said, they persecuted me and they're going to persecute you. But you said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else will I go? I will follow you. So you need to remember that. We need to encourage each other to remember that. We said we will follow him no matter what. Third motivation here. We must look back to our confession, but our confession can't save us. We must look forward to eternal life, but we will never get there without this present hope, this present help, this present motivation, and that's God himself. Verse 13 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. The Father gives life, and he sustains life, physical life and spiritual life. He is a source of life. Verse 15 says, he who is the blessed God, the only sovereign, the power, the king of kings and lord of lords. He does whatever he pleases. No one can stay his hands. He has no equals. The devil is a mere creature. It says, verse 16, alone, God alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You see, our victory is assured because our God, he's a true and living God. He's all powerful God and he's already victorious. And so we can look to him and we can be assured that the war is already won. We also not only look to the father, we also look to the son. It says, I charge you in the presence of God of Christ, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession. So we look to our confession, but we also look to Christ and his confession. Uh, you say, well, when did, God, when did Jesus make a confession of faith? Well, it's outlined for us in uh, John 18. But because Jesus was a man as well as God, the God man, the son of David and the son of Christ, or the son of God, uh, he had to fight also. He had to fight to pray. He had to fight to, he had to fight to Satan and temptation. When he was in a desert, he was hungry. He was thirsty. And the temptations was real. And unlike us, he never failed. 
And so when we fall to temptations, we can take a break. We can get out of the fight and dust yourself off and get back up again. But Christ, he never failed. He always had that weight under him or over him to, to, to sin, but he never did, of course. But in John 8, uh, knowing that it would cost him his life, Jesus said to, uh, to Pontius Pilate when he was asked, he said, are you a king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes, I am the king. It is as you say, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I came into the world to bear this truth. I am the king and I'm Lord of everything. And so we look to Jesus for our motivation. So we're motivated for this fight by our king. We're motivated by our confession. We're motivated by the purpose of the call. All right, preacher. I want to fight to keep the commandment holy. I want to keep it pure. I'm motivated. I'm ready to fight. So what do I do? Well, we start by fleeing. Look at verse 11 again here. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. That these things here is what he was referring to earlier in the chapter with the false, with the false teachers, the, the love of money and the root of all kinds of evil. He said, Timothy, man of God, flee these things. That these things here is different for all of us. We need to look at the scriptures. We need to pray and ask God, what is our things? What do we need to be fleeing from? And we need to run for our lives. First Peter 2.11 says, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from passions that raise war against your souls. So we start by fleeing. But not only that, we're not running away from something. We're running towards something. We're running toward Christ. We're running toward Christ's likeness. So verse 11 says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness and gentleness. We must have clear objectives in order to reach our goals. So Paul says here, pursue righteousness and godliness. And that is what we find in scriptures. Uh, not the righteousness and the godliness in our minds, but what's defined for us in the scriptures. He says, pursue faith. This is the fight of faith. We, we are the same with the, the Father in Mark 9. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Pursue love. Do you love your neighbors? Do you love your people in your household, your your husbands and your wife? You say, preacher, we don't, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. But Jesus said, love your enemies. We are to pursue steadfastness. So when we fall down and we get tired, we pick ourselves up and we keep fighting. We don't give up. Pursue gentleness, meekness. This fight should be a humbling fight. We know we can't do it on our own. This, this list is summed up in pursuing Christ and Christ's likeness. Well, preacher, you've been preaching a long time. Uh, how long do we need to fight? I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through the end of this sermon Let's bear with me. We're almost done. But Paul says, Timothy, we have to keep fighting until the end. We have to keep fighting until we hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We have to fight until we see the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord. So we fight until... We're called home, or we, call, or we fight until he comes, but we must keep fighting. 
Back in chapter 4, Timothy said, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Don't depart from the faith. Don't go AWOL. This faith that God's given us is a, is a faith that can't fail. And if you walk away from the faith, it only proves that you never had the real thing. That's what 1 John 2.19 says. Listen to the second Timothy 4 and 3. It says, for time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the end. Jesus said that those who endure to the end will be saved. So don't stop fighting. Listen, some people say that because we have these warnings in Scripture about wandering away from the faith or becoming apostate, that means you can lose your salvation. That's not what it means at all. Just like a parent who tells their child not to run into the street and you preserve their life by not getting hit by a car, by giving them warnings, this is the same way that God preserves our faith by giving us the warnings in the Scripture. And again, that's why the Scriptures are so important for us to protect and, and, and to guard Listen to 2 Timothy 3. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will, come, there will come hard times, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and lay astray, and, and, and lead astray, uh, that are led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. They also oppose the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But you, Timothy, however, verse 10, you have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystria, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, O Christian, you, O man of God, you continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, scriptures, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the Lord's appearing. Don't fall away. So we're not fighting to save ourselves. We're not fighting to keep ourselves safe. We're fighting to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. But our striving and our endurance, our fight for the gospel purity and holiness is not ourselves pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. No, this is all based on the power and the grace of God. Look at the last verse in our passage here. We're almost done. It says, grace be with you. This you here is plural. 
It means you all. Paul was looking for Timothy to read this letter to the entire church and for Christians to heed the words in his letter. And we must obey the words in his letter by the grace of God. And so Paul is praying that God will give grace to his people, grace to be able to to maintain their faith in the gospel and not to go AWOL, grace to live a life in line with the gospel. Turn over to Titus 2, verse 11. You see, some people say that if you tell Christians, if you tell people that they can't lose their salvation, that they would just go and sin and live any kind of way, but they don't know the grace of God. They don't understand the saving grace that come along with the, with the gospel call. But this is the grace that Paul is referring to here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It doesn't say now you can go and live any way you want because we've got grace. No matter how much your life is on Christ-like, no. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce godliness worldliness, passions, to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace, grace be to you all. So we fight this fight that was once, we fight for this faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We fight to train ourselves for holiness, for godliness, we flee from sin and we run toward Christ. We fight to bring everything, everything in our lives and our minds under the submission of the word and under the gospel of Jesus Christ. But dear Christian, the king has given his orders. We have a, a race to run. We have a battle to fight. I pray that you can say with the Apostle Paul, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who have loved to see his appearing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Please bow with me. Father God, I pray that you take my feeble attempt. You take your words, Lord, and you do a miracle this morning. I pray that you use these words uh, to call more soldiers into your army. I pray that you use these words to encourage those who's been fighting a long time and that's weary and ready to give up, Lord. I pray that you send your Holy Spirit, Lord, to strengthen us, to enable us to fight this fight. We pray these things in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen.